Sermon number 589, The Shepherds and the Flock, preached on December 5, 1971, the ordination and installation of officers at the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown. Text is 1 Peter 5, the second verse, Tend the flock of God, that is, your charge. The first letter that the Apostle Peter wrote, fifth chapter, beginning at the first verse. I appeal to the church elders among you, I who am an elder myself. I am a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I will have a share of the glory which will be revealed. I appeal to you, be shepherds of the flock God gave you, and look after it willingly as God wants you to do, and not unwillingly. Do your work not for mere pay, but from a real desire to serve. Do not try to rule over those who have been given into your care, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the glorious crown which will never lose its brightness. In the same way, you younger men must submit yourselves to the older men, and all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another, for the scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves then under God's mighty hands, so that he will lift you up in his own time. Throw all your worries on him, for he cares for you. And be alert and be on watch. For your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Be firm in your faith and resist him, for you know that your fellow believers in all the world are going through the same kind of suffering. But after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to share his eternal glory in union with Christ, will himself perfect you and give you firmness, strength, and a sure foundation. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. One does not have to read too much scripture to realize that the picture of the shepherd is a very integral part and woven throughout the writings of the new and Old Testaments. It's symbolically spoken of in language, and the image of the shepherd is pronounced on almost every page. For everybody in Palestine knew what a shepherd did. The shepherd was considered to be one of the prominent people in the community. He was the symbol of hard work. He was the epitome of constant surveillance, of fearless courage, and of a strong but quiet love. Consequently, we're not too surprised when the writers of the Old Testament begin to take this image of the shepherd and transfer it into terms of theology and look to God as the great shepherd and as the people, the flock of sheep. And you get writers like the one who wrote the 23rd Psalm saying, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Another one who wrote the psalm said, He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the, the sheep of his hand. And the writer of Isaiah, who was writing many hundreds of years before the first Christmas to tell the world that Christ would be coming in the form of the Messiah, said that when the Messiah would come, he would come like a shepherd who would feed his flock. Moses and David, the great heroes of the Hebrews, even to this day, they are constantly referred in their dossiers as being shepherds. The indication that one of the reasons that they were great leaders of God was that they knew the profession of the shepherd. When we get to the New Testament, we see this image of the shepherd being portrayed again through the message and through theology and the writing of, of the Gospels. We remember that the words concerning the first Christmas that were spoken in the hills of Bethlehem came to shepherds who were working the night shift. We remember that Jesus himself in trying to get people to be cognizant of who he was made reference to himself by saying, I am the good shepherd. So it's only natural, you see, that following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God was revealed at Pentecost and the organization called the Church was begun. Those who had the responsibility for organizing the administration of the Church, it was only natural that they would set up the organization of the ancient Church in this same image, in this same pattern of, of sheep and of shepherds. The leaders of the congregations, they were called the shepherds. And the congregations themselves were referred to as being the flock. That's a tradition, ladies and gentlemen, that began nearly 4,000 years ago, referring to God and God's leaders as shepherds. And as the people, the flock of the pastor. As a matter of fact, the very word pastor is the Latin word for shepherd. So I think on this particular day, when we come to that high sacred moment of ordaining and installing leaders in this particular congregation, that we once again look at what all was involved in the idea of Peter and some of those other great apostles in trying to instruct us as to what the proper job and the proper image and the role which we should play as either members of the shepherd fold or as people of the flock. And here Peter, who by the way, you know, was not a shepherd by profession, he was a fisherman. But nevertheless, he too takes on this concept, which I'm sure was strange for him at first, but then he points out again and again and again that a true shepherd, a real leader of the congregation, his job is to tend the flock. Now what does that mean? I think it means, first of all, that a leader is supposed to lead. In Palestine, the shepherds don't walk behind the flock, they walk ahead. A leader is supposed to lead. 
And in the words which you heard read from the pen of Peter, who was instructing leaders as well as flocks, he's trying to show them that no man, no woman, who is appointed by God's grace to leadership within a church has a right to dictate, has a right to rule. They have no right to use or manipulate people to work out their own idiosyncrasies or their own shortcomings. They're not even to drive, but they're to lead. They're to lead the people. I'll never forget Elder Jim Buchanan, one who served in the session of the first and only other church I've had the privilege to serve. I'd only been in the ministry about a year, perhaps a little bit too ambitious, a little bit anxious. But Elder Jim, a Scotch-Irish, western Pennsylvania farmer, took me aside one day and said, Reverend, you're young, you're ambitious, we love you. And I just want to tell you something. We're Scotch-Irish Presbyterian farmers. You lead us, and we'll follow you wherever you go. But then with a twinkle in his eye, he said, But don't dare try to push us. I've never forgotten that, and I hope I never will. Because this is the image which God and the people should have of a shepherd. He's a leader. He is to lead not only beside the still waters, but in the ways of righteousness and peace. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of God. He leads. And believe me, ladies and gentlemen, one of the reasons I think that the church is in trouble today is because many of us who are called to places of leadership are not leading. And when the shepherd does not lead, the flock goes astray. Shepherd is very demanding, but he's always out ahead, trying to clear away the danger, always leading out in front. How do you do this? Peter says you do it by being an example. <clears throat> Not telling people what they ought to do, but showing them through your leadership and your activity and your own body and your own, your own image what it is that you expect of them. You do it by example. You don't tell people they should go to church. You bring them to church. You don't tell them they should roll, enroll in a church school class or a Bible study. You head the line and enrollment. You are a leader. You are an example. Jesus, in, in speaking there in the 10th chapter, I believe it is, of, of the Gospel of John, where he says, I am the true shepherd. He gives us some hints as to what true leadership is. And a shepherd, he says, a true shepherd is an individual who knows his people and whose people know him. I know my sheep by name, and they know me. To be an example and a true leader, you know your people, and it means you know them not only by name, but you know their haunts, you know their hurts, you know their, their wishes, their fears, you, 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 you feel their temperament. And not only that, you allow them the opportunity and the privilege of getting to know you by your presence at worship, by your personality, 
You allow people the privilege and the opportunity to get to know the shepherd. It says also in that particular passage that the, the shepherd is one whose voice is known by the sheep. They know my voice. Now, if you don't think Hebrew on this particular idea, you're going to get the idea from the Greek mind that a leader in the church is one who has a big mouth and a loud voice, and that's not true. What the Hebrew concept is trying to say here is that the people of the congregation have a right not only to hear the voice of the leader, but to understand it, to know what the leader wants to know what the shepherd is trying to do. And the sheep in ancient Palestine knew that when the shepherd called, they had strayed far enough and far away, far enough away. And that when he called, it was always for their benefit, and if they did not respond, they would be the ones that would be hurt, not the shepherd. Then also in that passage it says, a good shepherd is one who easily, quietly makes sacrifice. He makes sacrifice for the sheep. This means an individual is one who maybe has to give up many things because he is a shepherd. And sometimes what hurts the pride, the sheep never know what it is the shepherd has to give up. See, the sheep doesn't, the sheep don't always know when, when the shepherd has to go without a meal. Or maybe for their sake he goes without a night's sleep. Or when he's troubled or disturbed or when he's hurt because he's been injured in trying to defend them against some angry onslaught or enemy who wants to destroy. He has to be strong. But he's quiet in making the sacrifice, even that sacrifice which Christ, our shepherd, made for us in laying down his life for the sheep. A shepherd, you see, is one who leads. And not only that, but he's one who feeds. That's the job of the shepherd. It's to feed the flock. Now, if there is food available and the sheep do not eat, that's not the shepherd's fault. The blame lies there with the sheep. But if there's no food present, that's the fault of the shepherd. And the shepherd of any flock has the responsibility of constantly looking for new pastures, for new areas where the sheep may graze. And he's an individual who does not give just a smorgasbord variety and smattering of things, but he makes sure that the sheep have a proper diet. He works hard in trying to lead his sheep to the place where they can feed, feed according to their particular need, and this does not mean you keep the people in the flock always on a milk diet, but when they grow up, you give them some meat to feed upon. You, you give them something which perhaps is hard to digest, but when it is digested, it means something and it builds sinew and tissue and muscle and strength. A shepherd who does not feed his flock 
is a hireling and is not worthy of the name shepherd nor the leadership which is his of the flock. A shepherd leads, a shepherd feeds, and a shepherd heeds. He heeds the word of God as it comes to all people of his creation. And he gives the word of heeding constantly to his people. In other words, the shepherd is an individual who knows out there and within here there is an adversary, an enemy. As someone said in an address to the World Council of Churches many years ago, four things every shepherd and every member of a flock should know. One, there is God. Two, there is law. Three, there is an enemy. And fourth, there is victory over that enemy. And I sometimes think in the church today we're so busy talking about love and about understanding and accepting people and ideas that we forget there's an adversary. An adversary that is constantly somehow, somewhere working to get within the heart and the mind of man and woman and youth to make that individual less than what God created him or her to be. We must always be aware and alert, watchful, Peter says. Test the spirit, says another, to see if they be of God. But must, we must be conscious that there is an adversary present. Now, we don't all agree on how that adversary works. There are some people who think that he is personified, that he sits in some particular domain, perhaps called Hades. He is an individual who is almost as powerful, not quite, but almost as powerful as God, and perhaps some even think he dresses in red suits and carries a pitchfork, and that he sends his disciples and missionaries out to infiltrate the hearts and minds of people. There are others of us who think that, no, the real devil, the real Satan, lives in here. That it is that deliberate disobedience, that open revolt in right of the knowledge that I have from God, to disobey him, to try and play the part of God myself. And this evil within me is what spews out ugliness and hate and everything which God is against. Maybe there are other concepts of how evil comes into the world and is dominant in the world, but ladies and gentlemen, the important thing is to see that evil is here. No matter how it comes, it is here and it is present, and we must be on the alert and watchful Look out for it. Recognize it. And to see it and to tell people that though this instrument of evil, whether it be a devil or the spirit of pride within a man, it may win some battles, but it will never win a war. That God, through Jesus Christ, has made captive that power, and when he comes again, that power shall be utterly destroyed. 
And any shepherd of the sheep who does not realize this adversary's presence and who does not warn his people that this power is present in the world today no matter what humanistic idea it tries to masquerade as it's here that shepherd is a hireling and he's not worthy to his call so today on this day of ordination installation I want to thank those officers who have saved, served this church faithfully over the last three years elders Ed Ekes, Jim Ellis, Larry Kirk Bob Mayhew, John Patton, Bob Fishner, and Larry Oakham, Deacons Ken Carpenter, Bob Dutton, Bill Eisenbarth, Ruby Fredley, Bill Massey, and Dick Knoll. To thank them for all of us, for the leadership that they have given, and also to remind those new ones that we are going to ordain and install the great responsibility which is theirs. To inform them and you, the members of the flock, that if they are not leading, feeding, and heeding, they're not worthy of the name shepherd. And people, if you and the flock do not allow them to lead you, to feed you, and to give words of heed to you, you are not a flock, but a herd. We'll stand and sing together the shepherd's song.